so glad you're here. We're going to just invite you to um, lean in this morning. We're going to take our offering, actually, at the moment. So we're going to, as we kind of get this started, we're going to pass the offering. And so if you're new to this place, just uh, just know that that's kind of what we do. We kind of do this to keep this place going, but you don't have to be a part of it if you don't want to. But uh, if you call this your church home, jump in. This morning, we are... Uh, Week number 10 of First Thessalonians, and uh, we just want to invite the Holy Spirit to shape our thinking this morning, shape our thinking, um, shape our living, uh, shape our kind of our perspective as a community this morning. We do that every week, but I just want to kind of lean into that a little bit more this morning um, as, we, as we dive into a, a pretty heavy passage uh, last week, if you missed it, we did, <laughs> we had some fun, we uh, talked about um, some of the metaphors in chapter 4 and uh, some of the imagery of the return of Jesus and just what that means. Um, it's a powerful week. Last week, uh, cried a little bit. I apologize for some of you guys who are afraid of emotion, but it uh, uh, happens. Um, so I'm not going to cry this week because we're going to talk about judgment. So um, this week, it's judgment and wrath and heavy stuff that you don't cry about. Um, but uh, we're going to jump into that uh, this morning. So let me read this passage, and then we'll dig in. Uh, chapter 5. We're, hey, we're finally at chapter 5, so celebrate. Good times. Three more weeks, including today, okay? So here we go. Uh, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, uh, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us be like others. Let us not, sorry, be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night, which isn't true anymore. But okay, verse 8, so, but since we belong <laughs> to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in, as in fact you are doing. A few, uh, a few weeks ago, I ran into a, an older guy who was a part of uh, some church stuff that we're a part of, and he is a very thoughtful, thinking, reflective man. And ponytail, just kind of chill guy. You'd love to just hang out with him. And I got some alone time with him, and he asked me this question that just threw me. I'm going to give you the question. He said, so, Ryan, how are you feeling about your mortality? I'm like, that's not really one of those surface-level questions that I prefer, you know. Um, 
How are you feeling? So how are you feeling about your mortality? Try that today. Like when you run into somebody um, that you haven't seen in a while uh, and, you're, and you're feeling to go the surface level, go deep. How are you feeling about your mortality? And, and I was like, well, um, okay. Um, I started thinking, well, I, I guess, okay, at 42, um, I feel like potentially I'm... I'm I'm at least in the same shape or, or in better shape than I was at 32, uh, but I still love nachos. So that's, that's a strike, I guess. And so I'm just having this, I'm just trying to say something because what do you do with that? And um, it was really a good question. We had a really good conversation about it. It's a very humbling question. It's a very... Uh, it's a very uh, it's a perspective-changing question. I think we're all in different places when we think about that. We don't usually think about our mortality very much unless someone passes away or something comes up in our lives, an illness or, or something that's struggling, we're struggling with. We see a car wreck or, or things like that. But the reality of life on earth is mortality. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's trying to reorient uh, the Thessalonians to, to, to their mortality in, in some regards. And, 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 and some of the things that he's saying here, some of this language is very big, metaphoric, rich language. Uh, one of the things he he's talks about is the day of the Lord, which is a very Jewish uh, moment. Um, and, and Paul's very familiar with the Old Testament. And so he's teaching these Thessalonians, some of them are, are Jewish, but a lot of them are Greek. And, and remember, we talked about last week, the, the Greek understanding of the afterlife was uh, very different. In fact, there wasn't an afterlife. Remember the tombstone that we'll talk about here in a little bit um, that read, I was, I am not, I care not. The, uh, the tombstone that was all over. Archaeologists have found this tombstone all over the region. And so the people were um, learning as they come to follow Jesus that there is something else, that there is a, a, a present age, as the Jewish people understand it, and an age to come. There are two ages. And Scripture is rich with this. Thousands of years before uh, Paul is standing with the Thessalonians and, and then uh, later writing this letter, uh, there is this tradition, there is this belief, there's this understanding through Scripture, through the prophets um, through the writings of the Old Testament, that there is a present age and an age to come. The present age full of pain and war and strife and disease and poverty and oppression and all of these things that we loathe when we turn the news on. They're still happening today just in a very modern way. And then there's the age to come where Scripture says that all will be made right again. The garden will return. Uh, the full functioning of our lives and who we are will be new. And the transition between those two ages, what Scripture tells us, is the day of the Lord. It's the seam that brings the two together. And the day of the Lord is a very Hebrew understanding. It's this idea of, it's called Yom Yahweh, and it's, it's this beautiful, big, heavy, momentous event the upheaval of the status quo of this world is what it is. 
And it's sometimes used in very heavy terms, sometimes used in very excited, looking forward to it terms, depending on which side you're on. In Scripture, prophets talk about on that day, um, that day of the Lord, uh, and on that day, this will happen, and on that day, this will happen. On that day, good things will happen, renewal and, up, and, and beauty and flourishing, but also on that day, judgment heaviness. And so, we're glad you're here. You know, it's a fall day outside. Um, you know, this is normally one of those messages probably good for like February when we're all depressed anyway, but um, this, is, <laughs> this is one of the one of the things that happens when you take a passage of Scripture and make sure you hit all of it. Can't skip this. I'm going to deal with it. It is a part of the journey in Scripture. So, in Hebrew... Judgment, a lot of times we think that judgment is like Arnold Schwarzenegger Judgment Day type stuff, you know, um, and, and, and apocalyptic. But in Hebrew, judgment is less about vengeance, and it's much more about healing and renewal of everything on the planet at a very cosmic level. And in order for that to happen, in order for all the renewal to happen, what, what, what that means is that all evil has to go away. And so the evil that Paul is talking about, is just, it's, it's basically a huge category, human evil, natural evil, spiritual evil, anything that is not how God intended it to be, that goes against his created work, is evil. And so ultimately, death is going to be done away with, all of evil will be exposed in the sense that you will be able to actually clearly see with 20-20 vision what, what is evil and what isn't. And you know, there's gray areas and things like that. So the day of the Lord will be the point where evil will be eradicated and destroyed. And then this new ushering of creation, this new humanity, this new creation will happen. And so according to Scripture, uh, the, the words of Jesus, the prophets, the New Testament writers, the day of the Lord could be a good thing or it could be a terrifying thing, depending on where you stand with this. Now, some of you are like, okay, here he goes. He's going to be a mile-high stadium street preacher guy with a blow horn and a sign. <laughs> um, that's not where we're going. The other night, on Tuesday night, Angela and I were spending the night at uh, the family shelter. And uh, we had our cots, and, um, and I'm watching the Giants-Cubs game on my, on my, on my laptop and, uh, because um, it's do or die for the, for the Giants that night. And, and some of you have come up and, and hugged me and wished me uh, and, and cared for me, and some of you have um, laughed at me, and that's okay. That's, you know, I deserve it um, because we're a dynasty. But the, the whole point of that game, okay, it was, it was the last, it was the, it was the fourth game of the series. The Giants win, we push a game five with the Cubs. We're winning. And if you didn't see this game, oh, it ripped my heart out, threw it on the floor, and it stomped all over it, okay? Because we're going into the ninth inning, we're up five to two. Five to two. And we blew it. It was the biggest collapse in Major League Baseball history. And I'm watching it on my laptop, and there's people trying to sleep, 
and I'm wanting to scream, and I'm wanting to throw things, and I'm just, it's, it's horrible. So, but, but I'm thinking about this in hindsight, because when you think about the day of the Lord, uh, for some, it's going to be a glorious day, and for others, it's going to be the worst day. And, and I'm thinking for Cubs fans, this was amazing, right? I mean, they, they're still cursed until they win the World Series, right? So 108 years is still hanging in the balance, right? So, but, but for that moment, it was absolute joy and jubilation for, for me and my fellow Giant fans. It was horrible and terrifying. Now, I don't mean to make light of this whole idea of day of the Lord, but it's all throughout Scripture. If you follow Jesus, if you have hints of that the Scriptures are true, that they are saying something, that they resonate with what your own longings are as a human being, that this world is not right, that education and humanism isn't going to change it, that the only way this gets changed and fixed and put back is at a supernatural level. Then the words of Jesus talking about separating the sheep and the goats is just powerful things, heavy and ominous things, yeah. But they're, big, they're a big deal. And so, but on the other hand, we should look forward to it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you look forward to it. All that is good and true will be unleashed into the world. And so let's go real quick, verse by verse. It says, verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. And so this is a question that Timothy has brought back from the Thessalonians. Because remember, Paul sent Timothy to see how they were doing. Timothy goes 400 miles, uh, finds out how they're doing, walks 400 miles back, tells Paul how they're doing, Paul writes a letter, and then he writes it, and he walks 400 miles back, okay? So it's not like a text message or a a quick communication. This was a a huge labor of love to find out how they're doing, to report how they're doing, and to go encourage them again. And that was just letter one. And so Timothy comes back, and obviously they're asking, when's this all going down? When is this all going to happen? We can't wait. We want to know when this is going to happen. And so they come back, and Paul's like, listen, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. So you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Nobody knows when it's going to come. In fact, Jesus in Mark's People are asking him when it's going to happen, and he goes, uh, nobody, nobody knows. No man knows, including the Son of Man. That's the Father's decision. And so even Jesus doesn't know. When he was on this earth, he, it was just not something that, that he concerned himself with. And so, so for you, know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying, Peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. There's two metaphors here. Um, You can probably pick them out. Um, Thief in the night is the first one. And then pregnant woman, like labor pains on a pregnant woman. So the first one is like this idea, like some people think it's like a cat burglar, like like a thief showing up, a robber in the dark. Um, What Paul is saying here is going to be unexpected. I mean, it's going to be something you don't know when it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's like, boom, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm eating nachos, and then Jesus is coming back. I mean, it's just like that's happening. Like that quickly it happens. And then the other metaphor is a pregnant woman. So, you know, two millennia ago, being pregnant and expecting a child is a little different than now. Now we have epidurals, and, um, and, and, and where's Heather? We have minivans, right? You know, we have, 
You know, I'm sorry, Heather. I had to do it. I had to do it. Uh, <laughs> that's a great story there, Heather. Yeah. Um, so um, we, now we have uh, all this uh, equipment and, and testing and all this stuff. So if you were pregnant two millennia ago, there was a great deal of anxiety about the birth of your child. I mean, living through childbirth, your, your son or your daughter living through childbirth, let alone you living through the childbirth as, as, a, as, a, as a mother is just a whole different ballgame. And so he's saying it's like, uh, and it's inescapable. You are going to have this baby. Like, that's one thing you know as a pregnant woman. Like, it's going to happen, um, and you don't want to think about it, and you're like, and you're asking people about it, how to go, you know. But it's like, it's coming. There is, it, it is going to happen. And so two things that are happening here. It's unexpected, and it's inescapable, is what Paul is saying. That's all you need to know. You don't know when. You just know. It's like the whenever, like, when I was in youth ministry, if someone came up and, like, uh, you know, bushwhacked me with a pillow at, on a retreat, you know, I would tell the kid, listen, you don't know when, but you will know why. It's going to happen. You know, I'm coming for you. You don't know when. You don't even know how, but you will know why. And so this, this kind of, it sounds scary. It's like that, that line from uh, The Matrix with Mr. Smith, and he's got Neo up down on the train tracks, and he says, you hear that sound, Mr. Anderson? That's the sound of inevitability. It's going to happen, right? But it didn't happen. So, but it's going to happen. According to Paul, it's going to happen. So it sounds scary to us. It sounds like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? But he says this here. But you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. He's saying, family, he's like, don't be scared. You are not in darkness. Don't be worried. He's, like, he's kind of this idea is like in a gloomy and scary world, Jesus comes like a sunrise. He comes to, to do things in us and through us that are, that are encouraging, that, that bring us hope. And he says, you belong to the day. You're, you're people of the daytime, he, he gets to talking about here. So, so basically what he's telling the people of Thessalonia, he's saying that the church here, he's saying, it's not about when. Okay? It's not about when this is going to happen, but it's about how you live now. It's not about when, but it's about how you live now. He says, for this, verse, verse 7, he says, For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So he's making this contrast between daytime people and nighttime people. He's, nighttime people are, uh, to use the words of Paul, they're, they're asleep, meaning their head's in the sand about this. That They don't want to think about it. They don't want to hear about it. Um, you know, like that whole tombstone thing. I was, okay? I am not. I care not. This kind of apathetic, um, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to keep my I'm going to keep my distance. Uh, or this idea of being drunk, this idea of, of just escaping um, and, and just being kind of numbed off to what could happen, what Scripture says could happen, is going to happen. And then versus daytime people, um, so he's contrasting daytime people. They're awake, they're sober, they're vigilant, they're, they're in tune with what's happening. They're, they're ready uh, this word sober is a Greek word that's literally not drunk. I know that was a huge stretch, but it's also this word picture for being in self-control. 
There's self-control over their lives as a whole. There's there's a, a readiness for everything. And then in verse 8, he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, what Paul is doing here is very fascinating because Paul is actually using the metaphor of a Roman officer to talk about being a follower of Jesus, which is really interesting to me. Paul uses a lot of military language, even though he's a total pacifist. I mean, he uses this language, and, and it's really fascinating because only Roman officers would wear breastplates and helmets. And, and so what he's saying here with this whole idea of a breastplate and a helmet, he's like, fight like a soldier to be daytime people. Okay? Fight like a soldier to be daytime people. Breastplate is the front side of you, not the back side of you. So it's like face the, uh, the magnetic pull, okay, of our culture to be nighttime people. Face it and fight it to be daytime people is the idea. That there's this huge magnetic pull for us to live differently. Uh, listen, Denver is a great culture. I mean, I was driving the other day with my son Keelan down south, and um, it's just wild to watch all the building and the traffic and the traffic on Saturday at two in the afternoon. You know what I mean? It's just like, what? Um, but the building, and there's new restaurants and craft breweries and all this stuff happening here, and people are loving this city too much uh, because they move here. <laughs> but there's, and they're not leaving here. Um, and there's just, I mean, who would, we love Denver. It's a great city. I mean, if you can get past some things, obviously nothing's perfect, but it's a great place to live. Beautiful weather. Um, hopefully no one out of the state is listening to the podcast and they're going to move here, but beautiful weather, all this stuff. There's so much to do, there's so much food and, and all this stuff going on, right? Great place. But there is this magnetic pull, not just in Denver, but of our culture, and it's easy to get sucked into it. It's easy to get sucked into it. The drift away from holiness, the drift away from um, things that are for the kingdom to things that are at odds with the kingdom is very subtle and very strong. Very strong. And I've seen this a great deal in students. I've worked with students for many years. Uh, there's, there's been um, some students that have kind of gone on and kept their faith and, and gotten involved and really just kind of st- uh, it fought to, be, to continue to believe and to trust and, and to, to fought against that magnetic pull, but others haven't. You know, in one, one uh, season of their life, they, were, they could sing every VeggieTales song and they had their Christian band t-shirt and then they went and then they went off to college in the big city and then they're like, oh, this looks fun, and this looks, this isn't that bad, and this is, and then, and then you wake up one day, and you're like, well, I'm gonna chuck it all. I'm gonna chuck it. Is God's calling on your life and in my life as disciples to, to live holy? To live holy in our eating, in our drinking, in our sexuality, in our speech, in our relationships, 
God's calling our lives to live holy, and that's what Paul is talking about here, that, that this idea of a breastplate and a helmet, this like fighting this temptation to live as people of the night. And I'm not saying that, that you, you, you kind of set yourself apart from this, this world, this culture, and say, oh, I'm morally better than you. I just want you to know that. I won't do that. Um, I don't even want to look at you while you're doing it. You know, <laughs> this kind of like high society moralism, that's not what Paul's saying. He, Paul's saying is basically live with a gap. Live with a gap. Live with this kind of an idea that you can live shoulder to shoulder with people in this city. Shoulder to shoulder with your neighborhood and your workplace and, your, and, and fully functioning, but living differently. Thinking differently. Believing is as being a people of the future version of this world. Paul talks about living within this world but not being a product of it. You just live, live. Go to the grocery store. Do your taxes. Live in this world. But don't be a product of it. We'll get into that a little bit more here in a second. But this unique and special place and, and kind of tension we live in. And you, here's the thing. You can't do it alone. Paul, remember we said this, all the you's in this letter, the Y-O-U's are we's. It's an us. So when Paul's saying you, he's not saying you individual person in Western <laughs> Christianity in America in the 21st century. No, he's saying you, restoration. You, Thessalonians. You live, fight the good fight. You don't fight it alone. You fight it together. That's right, when we, we're open and authentic with each other, I'm really struggling with this, or I'm really struggling with this thing, or I'm really struggling with my workplace, I'm really struggling with trying to get ahead, or I'm really struggling with like, the relationships in my life, that we, we're open and honest because this magnetic pull in our lives is so big. Hebrews talks about not giving up the opportunity to meet together. I'm not just saying come to church on Sunday. It's like the people in your life that follow Jesus, are you, are you shoulder to shoulder with them fighting to be people of the day, sober and awake, ready, vigilant, loving, full-on embracing people, knowing that there is another way. Or, let me just ask this, maybe you're drifting a little bit. Maybe the summer's been fun. Um, you've had some great experiences. Maybe there's just some new things, some new relationships, some new... Uh, you know, some new finances have come upon you and you're just feeling good and, and you're just kind of drifting into something else. And you feel it. You know what I'm talking about. You feel it a little bit. Matthew 5, there's a whole section called the Beatitudes and Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. They will see God. And I think for some of us, we want that. We really want that. We want to see God. And if we want to see God, we want our faith to be more than an idea in our head or something we participate in on Sunday morning. Then we have to recognize that some of that seeing God and not seeing God has to do with our drift. It has to do with maybe kind of getting sucked a little bit into a different way of thinking and experiencing life? Do you want to experience the reality of the power of the Spirit in your life? 
then fight. And you've got to fight for them. You've got to fight with someone. You've got to fight with us to do that. See, Paul's saying that the pull is so strong that we need to fight together. And this whole word picture that I talked about, this Roman soldier, this, I mean, like I said, he's not, he's a nonviolent guy. He's a pacifist guy using Roman officer military words to talk about fighting. And, and he's not saying here that the enemy is a Roman empire. He's not saying that. He's not saying that the enemy is some uh, soon-to-be uh, northern barbarian horde that's going to come towards the Roman empire. He's not saying that either. He's not saying that the enemy, like for us, would be ISIS, Iran, Russia, politicians. He's not saying that. He's saying that the enemy is this spiritual force of evil, this, 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 is what Scripture calls the power center of this age that is set against the kingdom of God. And he says, this is how you fight it. You don't fight it with drones and Anything like that, political elections, you don't fight it with that. You don't fight it with sarcastic and, and mean Facebook posts, please. You fight it by verse 8, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Did you hear the trifecta there, Paul's trifecta? Faith, love, and hope is what he's talking about. What is faith? It's taking God as his word. That's what faith is. Taking God at his word, acting and living uh, the way that, uh, that means that, that Jesus is Lord. It's this idea that we talked about uh, of fidelity and allegiance to your patron, Jesus. Which is difficult to do in a world that's always trying to pull our allegiance to something else. What is love? Some of you are singing the song, but I'm not going to... What... <laughs> It's not, baby, don't hurt me, okay? It's, what is love? (laughs) Sorry. Self-sacrifice at the good of another is love. Self-sacrifice at the good of another. Not just people in your tribe. Not just people who agree with you politically or religiously. Not just people who um, take care of their lawns like they should. Okay? that, I tell you what, not just, not just, love is self-sacrifice for the other. What is hope? Hope is not a pep talk, okay? Hope is not a pep, pep talk. It's the absolute expectation of the coming good based on the character of God. That is hope. The absolute expectation of the coming good based on the character of God. And he says, this is what you fight with. This is how you wrestle through this that we live in. That's how you deal with the present age, believing in the age to come. And we face it as a community. This is what Paul calls the good fight. And then verse 9, we're almost done. So if you're hungry and bored, here we go. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Remember, Paul is talking to people who have chosen to, to serve a different allegiance. 
They no longer worship idols. He says earlier in the passage that they no longer worship idols. Remember we talked about how significant that was, to not worship idols, to not do business in the temple and make a sacrifice for every time you did business, for not, well, like when you were going to have a child, not going to the temple and offering a sacrifice uh, there, for not worshiping Caesar in the center of the city, a, 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 a statue erected to Caesar as the son of God. And everything you did, every economic thing, every familia thing, everything you did was oriented around the worship of the gods. And he said, you have chosen to turn away from idols. It would be like, we've said this before, but it would be like you and I deciding uh, not to use the internet anymore. And how foundational that is, not only for our commerce, but our so- for our so- social you know, interactions, but, but all these things that would be like that. And he says, you don't do that anymore. You don't worship idols anymore. And that's a beautiful thing. And he goes, now that you follow Jesus, you're daytime people, and your trajectory has changed. Your eternal tra- trajectory has changed. There's this it's a different thing about you. It's, it's this bit, bit of salvation that's now um, in your future and not wrath. And that wrath, that's a tricky word, right? That idea of the day of the Lord, that, that there was an event of the cross of Jesus. This event that happened and it transforms the destiny of believers. This event. When Jesus dies for us, he talks about, on behalf of us in our place. And then moving on in verse 11, this is the kind of the final verse. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Just in fact, as in fact you are doing. So this idea of being encouraged, this is supposed to be encouraging and, and exciting and, and good, encouraging stuff for them. And so um, there's one real scandalous thing that Paul says early in the chapter, early in the first paragraph that I want to get to because I think it just kind of sums up as we finish up this morning. It's a slogan. And it's in chapter uh, five, of, of course. But it's, he says this. He says, while people are saying, Peace and safety. I don't know if you caught that. He says, while people are saying peace and safety, he says disaster will come on them like a thief in the night. And this, this, words, this phrase, peace and safety, is stock Roman first century verbiage. It's a slogan. It's a propaganda slogan. It's kind of like um, life, liberty, and the what? Pursuit of happiness. We, Americans, you know, America. You know, I mean, it's like that's our slogan, man. It's... Don't mess with that in my life. Don't, don't mess with my life and my liberty and my pursuit of happiness. I mean, who are you? I got the First Amendment. I even got the Second Amendment to prove that I got the First Amendment. And we have this, you know, these slogans, right, that are they're so important to us Americans. And, and it's easy to see, sometimes when we read all this, it's easy to see the Roman Empire as the bad guy, right? It's like this, this bad, evil place. But you got to understand, it was an unprecedented place. It's an unprecedented society. I mean, to this point in human history, uh, transportation just took off in Roman society. Uh, peace and safety, this idea of Pax Romana, the Roman uh, conquering the, the known world, actually created the, hey, there's peace as long as you, you know, you know, worship Caesar. And, and so, but everybody, there was some thriving, the economics were thriving. There was a very sophisticated culture in Thessalonica. It was like a really kind of a cool thing. In fact, people wanted to keep it, right? 
We talked about how the Thessalonians had this unique privilege of being a special city, a tax-free city. And so when this little band of people come along and they say, hey, Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is. And Paul gets run out of the city. Why do you think they got run out of the city? Because if they upset the apple cart, they upset the status quo, uh, economics start going south, and then Roman troops start getting stationed close by, and, and things start getting out of whack. They want to keep it going. They want to make it continue. They want to keep the safety and the prosperous Thessalonica rolling, and it's easy to think that it will last forever, and it's easy to want to focus on keeping it lasting forever, right? I mean, wouldn't you want to? Everything's going good. Nobody, nobody rock the boat, Right? Nobody do anything. Nobody make Caesar angry. And so what set in was materialism and an apathy, and it sucked them in. And it sucks us in. And we get very focused on the now and living in the now and how we feel and how we keep that feeling and how we generate more of those good feelings, right? And we, we go from experience to experience and from um, special events to a special event. Here's the thing. I mean, we want peace and safety. That's what this, sometimes our elections are all about. Who's going to keep us safe? Who's going to help us cut our taxes and make us more money? And we fight about it. We want it. We want to keep it the same. See, we have this idea that the next promotion the next home we get to buy, um, the next relationship, the next purchase, the next experience, the next passport stamp we get are going to make us feel that we have peace. And Paul says, don't buy the propaganda. It's all propaganda. Sure, live, work, earn, dream, be generous, love, but don't buy the PR. Don't buy it. Don't look for it in your experiences, your jobs, your stuff. Don't look at it here. Be people of the future. And look to the future. Look to the age to come. It's only found, Paul says, in following this King Jesus. So one thought for us today as we close. I know, it's a one-point sermon. You're like, it really feels like more than that. Just one thought for us today as we close. The day of the Lord is coming. It's coming. And I know that's not a chipper thing. I know that's not something you should go tweet but it's true and it's real. And I'm not saying that in a religiously fundamental hellfire and brimstone kind of way. I'm not, I'm not trying to scare. I'm, not, I'm just saying that, that according to the, the oldest uh, religious document in the history of the world, and for millennia, people believe that there is an age to come that it's coming. And Scripture tells us it's a true, it's not a myth, it's not a superstition. That all the things that have been prophesied about that have happened so far that have happened give us an idea like 
N.T. Wright tells us, like a picture, like a signpost pointing into the fog, that we don't know details. We really don't know what it all looks like. And this might sound somber, but I want you to deeply think about it. I want you to be like that guy that asked me to think about my mortality. I want you to this week. This is an exercise that I kind of did all week myself. That wherever you're driving, wherever you're going, wherever you're standing in line, wherever you are, I want you to open your eyes and see. I want you to see. I want you to see not just horizontally, just what's happening, how this world functions, the good parts, the bad parts. But I want you to see and I want you to understand that according to Scripture, everything you see, people, artifacts, systems, it'll all face judgment. And the day of the Lord is coming. It's unexpected, but it will be coming. And some of it is good. And some of the things that are good that are going to find a way in God's new world, and some things aren't. And there's implications for that for us right now. And so maybe there are conversations that need to be had. And there needs to be maybe a different rhythm in our lives. If you want to be a people of the future type person, if you want to be a people of the daytime, that we would kind of shed that tired rhythm of American life. Work more, buy more, repeat. That we would resist the propaganda, you know? That we, would, that we would just clearly reflect on our lives and go, where am I drifting? Where am I being pulled into this nighttime living? And the seriousness of it, not to bum you out. This isn't to bum you out. This, the final verse was, this made, made us encourage you. Say, but to be fundamentally reframe your life, my life, our life from the ground up. That's what Paul is doing saying no to the propaganda, living wide awake, being daytime people in a nighttime world is what the call is here. It's funny, I was hanging out with Dan Zizvorka this week, and I was telling him about what I was preaching on this weekend, and he's like, man, good luck with that. I mean, that sounds depressing. It's hard. It's hard. I'm, I'm not like, hey, I can't wait. We're going to talk about wrath judgment in the day of the Lord today. Can't wait for me. It's like Instagram that way. Like, hey, you come, everybody come on out. It's going to be good. It's hard. We confront, we think deeply of it. I mean, there's an impending, there, we will all die one day. I don't know if you noticed that, but like that will happen. So there is this inescapability about that. And what Paul is saying, this is just as inescapable. Standing before our creator it could be a wonderful thing, and it could be a very hard thing. And so if you want to wrestle with this one, some of you maybe need to wrestle with this just in the idea of just the drifting feel, um, that you're just kind of floating through life, and you just, at some point, you just felt like there was a direction, you were part of a current, you were part of something special, and that God was really moving in your life, you saw God at work in your life, but now you haven't. You've kind of decided to go this route, and kind of have a little of this and a little of this. And, and, and you, know, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. And it's not, like a, it's not like a, hey, you're out there just, you know, doing this and doing that and just being, like, crazy. But you're, you just kind of bought the propaganda. Peace and safety. You bought it. And then wherever you were at, some of you are in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus and you would admit that and you would admit that uh, and you'd be 
cool with that and all that kind of stuff, and I'm happy you're here, and I'm pumped you're here, and but this is a heavy passage, and am I going to water it down? Am I going to make it, like, sound good? And, like, hey, well, the Greek really means it's not that big of a deal. No, this is not what this is about, right? And so wherever, wherever you come from, I'm not going to dance around it. I don't know if you're, like, kind of more of an atheist feel or an agnostic feel to you or just another belief structure with you. Um, the Christian tradition puts it like this. One day, you and I are going to stand in, in front of our creator. We're just... That's what's going to happen. And uh, you will, I will. And it doesn't have to be scary. And the story of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection is, is, is the, the making of a way through that scene for us. And he died for you. And, and changing your way for his way. You're not saved from something. It's not like that whole idea, well, you, you know, you don't want to go to hell, right? You know, the, the whole saved from something thing. It's actually the beautiful, the more beautiful picture of this is you're saved to something. That's, that's what Paul's getting at. Be daytime people. There's something beautiful about living wide awake and fully alive and how God intended you to live and in this difficult world right now. Don't don't, don't go the, the, the drunk route and the, and the sleeping route. Don't bury your head in the sand and pretend like nothing's going to happen. This beautiful picture of towards something. In fact, this idea of life in Greek, it's this, this word zoe, and it's this quantity of life, but also this beautiful quality of life. That when we come and follow Jesus, there's something about God's beauty and fullness coming through us that every human being craves for this that we want this in our bones, but yet all day long we, we buy into the propaganda and we, we choose to go that route and really this full, alive, beautiful existence dripping with God's intent in our life is waiting for us. That's what Paul is calling us to. And so it's a simple thing. It's a simple repentance thing. It's a simple turning around thing. It's a simple walking the other direction thing. And it's also about faith. And, and, and kind of giving your allegiance and your fidelity to Jesus. That's what this is about. And so this morning, um, we are going to celebrate communion. But before we do that, um, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. And, and, and maybe there's some reflection for you this morning as far as drifting and, and just the heaviness of this passage. May it bring you to worship and to reflection, and maybe a bit of repentance in your life um, as we come to the table.